0: You see on page five of the booklet, there's a sermon outline, and we're starting with that statement that might be controversial to some. World peace is a fruit that is too high on the tree. World peace is a fruit too high on the tree. Friends, you may have noticed, be that the beauty pageant or right through to the aspiring politician, everyone wants world peace. The desire for peace is good, world peace even, but here's what we see throughout human history, it is a fruit on the tree that is too high to get. It's a high concept, a high ideal, peace between neighbours, let alone peace between nations, so that from our first reading in John 14, when Jesus says these words, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, Let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. Peace, Jesus gives. When he says that, whatever you've heard about Jesus, whatever you believe about Jesus, one thing we associate with Jesus, even if you don't know much about Jesus at all, one thing we can associate with Jesus is, he is a man of peace. See, we don't see Jesus in John 14 as the warrior coming in a religious jihad. We don't see Jesus coming along and telling us to live by the sword. In fact, we know at the crucifixion, he says those who live by the sword die by the sword. Rather, when you see Jesus, who is just and righteous and yet good and gentle and lowly, he is merciful and gracious, he is peace for people. And Jesus says... And gives peace, unlike world peace. Notice this, we saw in the passage in John 14, not as the world gives you peace do I give you peace. Think about when the world promises peace. When the world promises peace, we know in the back of our minds it can't deliver. Because the world has never delivered peace. Particularly the sort of peace we know in our hearts Jesus is speaking about. We've lived in the last 50 years in this part of the world in what historians are now calling an anomaly. I have not been had to face a draft to war. Uh, uh, my, my sons don't seem like... We've we lived in an anomaly. It's actually the world has by and large been at war with someone all the time. There are wars waging right now around the world that affect my life personally here not very much at all. We've lived in the comfort of our lounge rooms and yet peace peace is not something the world is achieving. But when you look at Jesus Jesus speaks about a peace that surpasses that. And when you look at Jesus in John 14 following It's not like Jesus is a person who's just a happy-go-lucky guru that just travels through life and has no problems. It's not like Jesus himself just had a peaceful, comfortable life in his lounge room, dispensing good information for his followers to digest. It's not like Jesus is just sitting at home on his keyboard, on his social media account, showing us how to be peaceful Now Jesus, you look at Jesus, here is a man in John 14 and following who knows he's going to face the physical, mental, spiritual, heart-wrenching, body-breaking, blood-shedding conflict of all time and space, and yet he says before that cross that comes for him, peace, I leave with you. Friends, when you look at world peace, it's too high on the tree. But when you see Jesus himself, you've got to ask how do I get that kind of peace? And Jesus himself sends his Holy Spirit, his helper to dwell in the hearts of his people to produce that peace, a peace we desperately need right now. Now is the perfect season to produce the fruit of the Spirit and today peace. Peace. Today in this classic passage of Philippians 4, we're going to see three things. Peace in conflict, peace in anxiousness, and peace in discontentedness. These are three heartfelt, deep issues in our world today. is conflict, anxiousness, and discontentedness. And we need peace in all three. But to start with, what is peace? Peace is one of those things you kind of know when you see it, isn't it? You know when you smell it or you hear about it, you kind of got to vibe what peace is. But it's good for us to define. Um, when I'm preparing sermons, I often use the passage I'm preaching in for our family worship. So for a week leading up to that, at dinner time. And if you've seen our kids this morning, as Amy said, uh, sometimes uh, the grinter kids are uh, not at peace. Uh, and it's just, it's just hectic, right? And our house feels like it's just kind of crazy sometimes. Um, but that doesn't mean a devotion for the family or family worship is lost. You, still, you can pull out a Bible. You can read one verse, friends. Dads, you could read one verse and ask one question. And even if one child of the three can focus and answer the question, you're winning, okay? <laughs> you're winning. You're discipling. Keep doing it. I know it's hard. But this week in our family worship, pulled out the Bible at dinner time. It was crazy. There was noise everywhere. And, and I read just a verse, uh, and I, I think it was from John 14. And I said, kids, um, what, is, what does peace mean? And all of a sudden, Wesley, who is five years old, in a moment of just, he just flicked up his eyes and said, not fighting. <laughs> yes. Good definition. What is Peace. You see, kids get what peace is because even we grown-ups get what it isn't, don't we? We grown-ups know what peace isn't. Now, peace can be the opposite of noise. Uh, it can be the opposite of the pressures placed upon you from the world or ourselves, and the opposite of that kind of peace we'll look into. But first, we need to see first peace in conflict. When Paul starts this passage, when he finishes kind of his, his letter um he starts talking about this peace in conflict last week we're in romans 5 and in last week in romans 5 we saw where peace begins though peace begins do you know where and who with god himself romans 5 verse 1 remember that verse therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ we have peace with God, friends. This is where lasting peace begins. See, God and humanity have been enemies ever since the beginning, ever since the fall. And we need peace. At the moment with our kids, um, there's a couple of kid illustrations today, I hope that's okay, but I just, it just seemed fitting. At the moment with our kids, um, our kids, we have uh, dinner and then we have a uh, bath or shower and then we have books and then we clean teeth and, and we go to bed. And so there's a lot we pack into that kind of time period. And now my boys, uh, Knox and Wesley, uh, they get to bed but they want a story. They want, it, they want me to tell them a story. It's delaying tactic number 38 um, of going to sleep and it's, it's currently winning and, and so they get a story. All right, I comply, Right. I don't know, I'm just so tired, and it's like, okay, I'll tell you a story. So, what I'm doing at the moment is I'm actually paraphrasing movies that they can't watch yet. So, um, they can't watch, you know, movies like The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, which they can't read the books either. Well, Knox might be able to, but they, they just can't quite get that. So, I'm paraphrasing, and that's the story. So, they, I give them in parts. They get, you know, three parts to The Hobbit, three parts to Lord of the Rings. I tell the stories, but it reminds me that of, of all those stories. The most poignant moment for me in Lord of the Rings, and this is just because I'm weird and I love history, is, is right at the beginning where Galadriel narrates the history of the ring. And this is what she says. Now, Lord of the Rings is a myth, right? J.R. Tolkien, right? he wrote it as a, as a fantasy. We get that. We know this, right? Even grown-ups know this. But um, what Galadriel says resonates for how our world views history today. This is what she says. And some things that should not have been forgotten were lost. And thus a third age of Middle Earth began. History became legend and legend became myth. I think our society treats the Bible that way. Our society treats it like it's just, well, it's history and then it became legend and legend became myth. Which means if we don't understand our history and the history of evil in the world and the history of sin, if we treat it as a myth, we lose. We lose understanding of why there's evil in the world. We lose a grip on reality of of how we got here and and how can evil go. It's, It's why the United Nations wish for world peace is just that it's a wish. It's why, and I find this ironic enough. to to actually mention. Do you know the United Nations has a security council? Do you know that the five nations on that security council, two of them are on the brink of war? (laughs) And that's the security council. It's like having bouncers or security guys at your event who are fighting each other. Here's the problem. We've forgotten our history. We treat it as myth. To look in Genesis at the beginning is to see the history of the world. We are created for relationship with God. We say we don't want you as our friend. We forego that relationship. Sin enters the world through our ancient grandparents, Adam and Eve. And here we have a world without peace. We're born into a world of conflict. But the good news is this, the gospel is this, Jesus brings peace, peace with God. See, we don't love God as we should, and by the way, love is the opposite of sin, sin is the opposite of love. We don't love God as we should, we don't love others as we could, and that's seen in all sorts of wrongs, we're in conflict, and God sees this, and God comes to save us from our sins, to save us from wrath against wrong. He brings himself to us. He he sends his son to forgive sin and reconcile us, giving us peace. Jesus brings peace. And so Jesus gives disciples his words of peace and he gives himself up on the cross. We can have peace with God by going to Christ. Friends, if you are tuning in online or you're here this morning visiting and you don't yet have peace with God, maybe even... You would say, I'm of a reforming church, I'm, this is my church, but you're still not sure if you've got peace with God. Go to Christ, for God has come to you in Christ to bring you peace. And by going to Jesus, you'll see that he also brings peace in a conflict with one another. We need this. Philippians 4, verse 2. I want you to notice a situation that is sadly so common. Philippians four, verse two: I entreat Yodia and I entreat Sunteke to agree in the Lord. Here is a classic passage of the Bible about a classic situation. Yodia and Sunteke have worked together in gospel ministry; they've been friends in the same church at Philippi, and now they're in conflict. Friends, is this situation not played out in churches in all places and time? Is it not so much shuffle and repeat, played in our society? Of course it is, it's par for the course, isn't it? And here Paul writes that we can have peace in conflict by agreeing in the Lord who brings peace. Friends, disharmony in relationships is a cause for peace. And notice this, look at this. It's not by agreeing in everything. The end of conflict is not compromise. It's not agree, disagree. It is agreeing in the Lord. There still might be disagreement, but there is a gulf of, dis- there is a gulf of difference between disagreement with love and disagreement with conflict. And that gulf is made up by the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, you know this. We right now find ourselves in an overwhelmingly historic moment of disagreement. Personally, for you and I, we are living in a moment of massive disagreement. And as we disagree, if that is on Virology, what is the answer? It's theology. The answer is, whatever disagreement we have on viruses and vaccines, if we agree in the Lord and find our standing on Him and with one another, that is where we find peace. Friends, Paul says of these two women, their names are in the book of life. They've got peace with God. Then why would you hold conflict against someone that Jesus has given life to? Now is the time not to see disagreement turn to division, where love is lost and leaving just becomes us. But rather, now is the time to see that this is where we believe the Bible believe in the Lord Jesus, and instead of friendships being foregone over disagreement, we actually agree in the Lord, and the Lord being in the Lord unites us together. Reforming Church is nearly nine years old. We've nearly preached through most of the New Testament in that time. We've preached a few Old Testament books too. Someone asked me, what are we going to do when we finish the New Testament? We'll do it all again. But in all the preaching of all that time has prepared us for this moment. This is the moment, this is the question, do you believe the gospel? Or would you believe whatever else is being said? That you could just forego friendships and relationships like that. This is not impossible, friends, it's possible because the Lord Jesus has brought peace on the cross. What was impossible for humanity, there is no way known, I could have gone to my maker, to my creator, to my God and said, I'll fix this. I could not fix this. He fixed this. He brought us peace with God by Jesus' blood shed on the cross. This is not therefore impossible to have peace between friends. Is it? Tell me it's impossible and look to the cross. It's not just possible, it's powerful. For a world in conflict looking on, when they see Christians in conflict who will not hang out with one another and it, doesn't, it not only makes sense to them, it's just normal. What they need to see is something so abnormal, so weird, so wonderful that it has to ask the question, how do you get that? And our friends, our neighbours, not only have conflict, they have anxiousness. You and I have anxiousness. We need peace in anxiousness, verses 4 to 7. Friends, anxious hearts are not joyful hearts, are they? I happen to know this, as happiness often can escape me and evade me, and joy becomes a concept when I leave thoughts of the Lord. So that's why Paul writes verse 4. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He has to say it twice. He has to say it twice because anxious people like me hear it and and through the noise that buzzes through us in our anxiety, it's kind of like a white noise sometimes, isn't it? That anxiety just buzzes through us. He has to say rejoice in the Lord twice. Now, friends, there is a medical anxiety that exists. Some of us have experienced that um, and you and I can get help with that. The Lord has provided medical professionals and medicine to help us. And if that's you, can I I encourage you to use it? I have been helped. Thanks be to God. Please ask for help about this. Yet the Lord also provides his helper, the Holy Spirit, who gives us help with a peace that guards us. Come and see. Look at verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now that reasonableness can be translated gentleness. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Why does gentleness need to be known to everyone? Because anxious people can get angry. Anxiousness should never be used as an excuse for sin. Just because you're going through a dark time is not an excuse or justification for sin. Going through a dark time does not justify you being dark on people. But instead, we can be gentle, we can be reasonable. The Lord is at hand. And here we come into a verse, Philippians 4 verse 6. We've said it before, whenever you're in a fix, Philippians 4 verse 6. Let's read it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, we easily get anxious about anything, don't we? Doesn't matter what it is. But now you can pray about everything. Doesn't matter what it is, because we can ask God. I often, for some reason, am the recipient of, and I get it—you probably hear mine too, grumbling, right? Complaints, how are you? Terrible, and I need to remind myself, Russ, turn your grumble into a prayer, because we often grumble about everything when we could be praying about everything. We of all people in this world. We've got the power of prayer, friends, of presenting everything to God. And we can do it even with thanksgiving. Because taking our anxieties to him straight away, we can thank him because he gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Friends, have you had that peace that surpasses all understanding? Exactly how this works, I can't tell you. Why? Because it surpasses my understanding. And it ought to, because you can't say, I've got God sorted out. I totally know how God works. I could draw a picture on paper, all the details. We creatures will never fully understand everything about God as to fully fathom him. Paul writes in Romans Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. A creature will never be able to examine the Creator and know every detail about Him. So when it says, when He says, peace surpasses all understanding, it's something we're not going to be able to fully explain. It passes our understanding in that way. But here's what we can know from God's Word. He guards our hearts. Often we need peace in anxiousness. In the inward conflict of our heart, the seat of our affections, we need peace. And Often we have an overworked mind. Races with anxious thoughts, we need peace. We need the peace of God that guards us. The peace of God that places a buffer around your heart and mind. That even if anxiety comes, you still can pray. Because what's the other option, friends? The other option is not praying. The other option is not having a peace that surpasses understanding, not being guarded and going away from God. And we're not naturally good at praying. We're not naturally turning our grumbles into prayers, are we? We're not naturally good about praying about everything It requires practice, which is why Paul says what he says next. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, and he ends up saying these things verse 9 whatever you've learned received and heard and seen and he, practice these things practice praying about everything people often say to me oh i've prayed about it it's not a shopping list you just tick off and it's done prayer is it is a list of going to things with All our needs and wants, but it's more than that. It's it's more than just taking the list and delivering the list like it's Uber Eats. Prayer is reliant upon God in everything. It's a lifestyle of reliance in everything, of praying about everything. Sometimes I'm so tempted to ask when I hear such such drastic grumbling, and we these days we catastrophize everything. And I'm I'm just tempted to say, have you prayed about that? Have you prayed through that, friend? Brother, sister, have you, have you been praying about that? It's a good diagnostic question to ask. Because instead of filling our mind and heart with things that help, we fill our minds and hearts with things that don't. Sometimes I wonder the stuff we let in the door, why even, why even entertain it? Why, why, why do we need to? Paul says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen of me, practice it and the God of peace will be with you. Look at Paul. Look at him. Look, we've seen Paul in 2 Corinthians, went through that series a couple of years ago. Paul, who says, I've been stoned, I've been shipwrecked, I've been betrayed, I've been beaten up, I've been sent out of town, I've been left for dead. Paul says that and he says, here's the trump card. You know what it is? It's none of those things. You go to 2 Corinthians 11, end of that chapter, and he says this, of all these things, the biggest thing that's laid on me, the burden of my heart is my anxiety for the churches. What keeps Paul up at night is how he feels about the church. I know what he feels like. When I see a church in turmoil, a church in just... Filling ourselves with all sorts of things rather than actually Christ. This is what leads us to anxiousness upon anxiousness. Look at me, I'm a leader, I'm a minister of the gospel and I get anxious. But I only have my heart and mind guarded if I practice what I preach, if I focus on Christ. And that helps me when I'm discontent. We live in discontent times. At the end of this chapter, Paul speaks about partnership in the gospel and being content. We're not going to go deep into this part at the moment because tonight on our annual congregational meeting, 7.30pm on Zoom, go to our website, you'll find the link on the members page. We're going to hear more about briefly what it means to be content in Christ. But for now, you look at verses 8 to 13. The peace of God brings contentedness contentedness is like orange juice you see you can try and make yourself content right like you can try and make orange juice so you can try and make orange juice by using artificial things you can use powder and sugar and coloring and you can kind of make something look orange and it looks like orange juice but it's not the real thing is it real orange juice comes from real oranges You can try and make yourself content by buying all the stuff you think will make you happy, uh, having all the things you think will make you happy, uh, pursuing all the things that make you happy. You can try and be content where the grass is greener over there and I'll grab that and I'll have that life and I'll live there and do this and design my destiny. You can try and be content that way and it's like making orange juice out of sugar and orange. It just doesn't work. real contentedness comes from having real peace it's the only kind of peace that you can have that you say i have christ and all those things could be taken away from me and i am still content i can never get the dream job and i'm actually still content i can never live in the dream house and i could be content i can never have the, the the life i thought i was going to have and i could still be content how because i have christ who can never be taken away That is the context of Paul's ministry. He says, I know what it's like to be brought low. And then he uses a strange set of words. He says, I've learned the secret. You see that? It's in verse 12. I've learned the secret of facing nothing. I've learned the secret of contentedness. What's that secret? He lets you in on it. It's peace with God. Why do you use this side for the microphone? It's peace with God. The world is full of discontentedness because it's empty of peace. The world is full of discontentedness because it is empty of peace. That's why we jostle for position in certain places. We clamor to make more cash. Our credit cards are maxed out. We don't tend toward generosity, but in competition to other desires, we hold on to more for ourselves. And being discontent is our way of life, and it's miserable. You want to know the secret? It's peace with God. It's having the fruit of peace. How? How can we really ripen in the fruit of peace in conflict, in anxiousness, in discontentedness? It's by having the God of peace with you. Jesus changes everything. For it is Jesus who went to the cross. Who's Jesus who says, I give you peace. And then he goes to the place... Do you look at Jesus dying on the cross? Is that a peaceful death? I was reading somewhere, something helpful actually, and having seen this um, growing up, I grew up on a farm, and when you see you know, animals dying, often they're exhausted. They, die, they, just, they just move into the ether, they just, they just die. Jesus dying on the cross, dies crying out. He goes to the place of conflict, the cross, the conflict between humanity. He goes to that cross instead of you, instead of me, to give us peace. And now, get this, he's with us to the end of the age. He's with us by his helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, with us to the end of the age, who illumines our minds, moves our hearts to produce the fruit of peace in our lives. The natural consequence of turning away from God is a life without peace. To not have a life of dwelling on Christ is to be overtaken by the swell of conflict, anxiousness and discontentedness. So you can tell when someone's not dwelling on Christ because they're dwelling on everything else. We need him. We need to dwell on him. We need to be in Christ. I want you to notice something, one last thing of exegesis to note of just in the text. It's a powerful thing. There are so many times Paul writes about being in Christ. Chapter 4 verse 1, stand firm in the Lord. Uh, 4 verse 2, agree in the Lord. 4 verse 7, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 4 verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord. You see, here's where we finish. Getting peace is not by pushing the circumstances or thoughts out Instead, it's by getting more of Christ in. Let's ask him for this. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we know we've heard the Lord is at hand and we need need him, we need Christ in our minds, in our hearts that we would be praying about everything with thankfulness, Please, we need peace, we need you, we need you to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus with a peace that surpasses understanding, but a peace that does not surpass us because Christ is with us. We thank you, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.